Homily Aids of Homilies on Philippians by St. John Chrysostom. This is a LibriVox recording. Homily 8, Philippians 2, 12 through 16. So then, my beloved, even as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye are seen as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may have whereof to glory in the day of Christ. The admonitions which we give ought to be accompanied with commendations, for thus they become even welcome, when we refer those whom we admonish to that their measure of zeal which they have themselves exhibited, as Paul, for instance, did here, and observe with that singular discretion, so then, my beloved, he says, he did not say simply be obedient, not until he had first commended them in these words, even as ye have always obeyed, i.e., it is not other men but your own selves whom I bid you take example by, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, and why, much more in my absence, ye seem perhaps at that time to be doing everything out of respect to me, and from a principle of shame. But that is no longer so. If then ye make it evident that ye now strive more earnestly, it is also made evident that neither then was it done out of consideration to me, but for God's sake. Tell me, what wouldest thou? Not that ye give heed to me, but that ye work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is impossible for one who lives devoid of fear to set forth any high or commanding example. And he said not merely with fear, but and with trembling, which is an excessive degree of fear. Such fear had Paul, and therefore he said, I fear, lest having preached to others, I myself should be rejected. 1 Corinthians 9.27 For if without the aid of fear temporal things can never be achieved, how much less spiritual matters. For I desire to know who ever learned his letters without fear, who has become a proficient in any art without fear. But if, when the devil does not lie in the way, where indolence is the only obstacle, so much of fear is necessary merely in order that we may master that indolence which is natural to us. Where there is so fierce a war, so great hindrances, how can we by any possibility be saved without fear? And how may this fear be produced? But if we but consider that God is everywhere present, heareth all things, seeth all things, not only whatsoever is done and said, but also all that is in the heart and in the depth of the soul, for he is quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 If we so dispose ourselves, we shall not do or say or imagine aught that is evil. Tell me, if thou hadst to stand constantly near the person of a ruler, wouldst not thou stand there with fear? And how, standing in God's presence, dost thou laugh and throw thyself back, and not conceive fear and dread? Let it never be that thou despisest his patient endurance. For it is to bring thee to repentance that he is long-suffering. Whenever thou eatest, consider that God is present, for he is present. Whenever thou art preparing to sleep, or giving way to passion, if thou art robbing another, or indulging in luxury, or whatever thou art about, thou wilt never fall into laughter, never be inflamed with rage. 
if this be thy thought continually, thou wilt continually be in fear and trembling, forasmuch as thou art standing beside the king. The architect, though he be experienced, though he be perfectly master of his art, yet stands with fear and trembling, lest he fall down from the building. Thou too hast believed, thou hast performed many good deeds, thou hast mounted high, secure thyself, be in fear as thou standest, and keep a wary eye, lest thou fall thence. For manifold are the spiritual sorts of wickedness which aim to cast thee down. Ephesians 6.12 Serve the Lord with fear, he says, and rejoice unto him with trembling. Psalm 2.11 And how is rejoicing compatible with trembling? Yet this, be assured, is the only rejoicing. For when we perform some good work, and such as beseemeth those who do anything with trembling, then only do we rejoice. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says not work, but work out, i.e. with much earnestness, with much diligence. But as he had said, with fear and trembling, see how he relieves their anxiety. For what does he say? It is God that worketh in you. Fear not, because, I said, with fear and trembling. I said it not with this view, that thou shouldest give up in despair, that thou shouldest suppose virtue to be somewhat difficult to be obtained, but that thou mightest be led to follow after it, and not spend thyself in vain pursuits. If this be the case, God will work all things. Do thou be bold, for it is God that worketh in you. If then he worketh, it is our part to bring a mind ever resolute and clenched and unrelaxed. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to work. If he does himself work in us to will, how dost thou exhort us? For if he works himself, even the will, the words, which you speak to us, have no meaning, that ye have obeyed. For we have not obeyed. It is without meaning that thou sayest with fear and trembling, for the whole is of God. It is not for this that I have said to you, for it is he that worketh in you both to will and to work. But my object was to relieve your anxiety. If thou wilt, in that case he will work in thee to will. Be not affrightened, thou art not worsted. Both the hearty desire and the accomplishment are the gift from him. For where we have the will, thenceforward he will increase our will. For instance, to desire to do some good work, he has wrought the good work itself, and by means of it he has wrought also the will. Or he says this in the excess of his piety, as when he declares that our well-doings are gifts of grace. As then when he calls these gifts, he does not put it out of the pale of free will, but accords to us free will, so when he says, to work in us to will. He does not deprive us of free will, but he shows that by actually doing right, we greatly increase our heartiness in willing. For as doing comes of doing, so of not doing comes not doing. Hast thou given an alms, thou art the more incited to give. Hast thou refused to give, thou art become so much the more disinclined. As thou practice temperance for one day, thou hast an incitement for the next likewise. Hast thou indulged to excess, thou hast increased the inclination to self-indulgence. When a wicked man cometh into the depth of vice, then he despises. Proverbs 18.3 As then when a man cometh into the depth of iniquity, he turns a despiser. So when he cometh into the depth of goodness, he quickens his exertions. For as one runs riot in despair, so the second, under a sense of the multitude of good things, exerts himself the more, 
fearing lest he should lose the whole. For his good pleasure, he says, that is, for love's sake, for the sake of pleasing him, to the end that what is acceptable to him may take place, that things may take place according to his will. Here he shows and makes it a ground of confidence, that he is sure to work in us, for it is his will that we live as he desires we should. And if he desires it, he himself both worketh in us to this end, and will certainly accomplish it, for it is his will that we live aright. Seest thou how he does not deprive us of free will? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. The devil, when he finds that he has no power to withdraw us from doing right, wishes to spoil our reward by other means, for he has taken occasion to insinuate pride or vainglory, or if none of these things, then murmuring, or if not this, misgivings. See then how Paul sweeps away all these. He said on the subject of humility all that he did say, to overthrow pride. He spoke of vainglory, that is, not as in my presence only, he here speaks of murmuring and disputing. But why, I want to know, when, in the case of the Corinthians, he was engaged in uprooting this evil tendency, did he remind them of the Israelites? But here he has nothing of the sort, but simply charged them. Because in that case the mischief was already done, for which there was need of a more severe stroke and a sharper rebuke. But here he is giving admonitions to prevent its being done. Severe measures, then, were not called for in order to secure those that had not yet been guilty, as in leading them to humility he did subjoin the instance in the gospel, wherein the proud were punished, but laid the charge as from God's lips. Luke sixteen twenty three, eighteen fourteen, And he addresses them as free, as children of pure birth, not as servants. For in the practice of virtue, a right-minded and generous person is influenced by those who do well, but one of the bad principles by those who do not do well, the one by the consideration of honor, the other a punishment. Wherefore also, writing to the Hebrews, he said, bringing forward the example of Esau, who for one mess of meat sold his own birthright, Hebrews 12:16. And again, if he shrink back, my soul hath no pleasure in him, Hebrews 10:38. And among the Corinthians were many who had been guilty of fornication. Therefore he said, lest when I come again, my God should humble me before you, and I should mourn for many that have sinned heretofore, and repented not of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they committed. Second Corinthians 12.21 That ye may be blameless, says he, and harmless, i.e. irreproachable, unsullied, for murmuring occasions no slight stain. And what means without disputing? Is it good or not good? Do not dispute, he says, though it be trouble or labor or anything else whatever. He did not say that ye be not punished, for punishment is reserved for the thing. And this he made evident in the epistle to the Corinthians. But here he said nothing of the sort, but he says that ye may be blameless and harmless, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye are seen as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may have whereof to glory in the day of Christ. Observe thou that he is instructing these not to murmur, so that murmuring is left for unprincipled and graceless slaves. For tell me, what manner of son is that who murmurs at the very time that he is employed in the affairs of his father and is working for his own benefit? 
Consider, he says, that you are laboring for yourselves, that it is for yourself that you are laying up. It is for those who murmur, when others profit by their labors. Others reap the fruits while they bear the burden. But he that is gathering for himself, why should he murmur? Because his wealth does not increase? But it is not so. Why does he murmur who acts of free will and not by constraint? It is better to do nothing than to do it by murmuring, for even the very thing itself is spoilt. And do you not remark that in our own families we are continually saying this, it were better for these things never to be done than to have them done with murmuring, and we had often rather be despised of the services someone owes us than submit to the inconvenience of his murmuring. For murmuring is intolerable, most intolerable. It borders upon blasphemy. Otherwise, why had those men to pray a penalty so severe? It is a proof of ingratitude. A murmurer is ungrateful to God, but whoso is ungrateful to God does thereby become a blasphemer. Now there were at that time, if ever, uninterrupted troubles and dangers without cessation. There was no pause, no remission. Innumerable were the horrors which pressed upon them from all quarters. But now we have profound peace, a perfect calm. Wherefore then murmur, because thou art poor, think yet of Job, or because sickness is thy lot. What then if, with the consciousness of many excellencies and high attainments as that holy man, thou hast been so afflicted? Again reflect on him, how that for a long time he never ceased to breed worms, sitting upon a dunghill and scraping his sores. For the account says that, after a long time had passed, then said his wife unto him, How long wilt thou persist, saying, Yet a little while I abide in expectation. Speak some word against the Lord, and die. Job 2, 9, Septuagint. But your child is dead. What then, if thou hadst lost all thy children, and that by an evil fate, as he did? For ye know, ye know well, that it is no slight alleviation to take our place beside the sick man, to close the mouth, to shut the eyes, to stroke the beard, to hear the last accents. But that just man was vouchsafed none of these consolations, they all being overwhelmed at once. But what do I say? Hadst thou thine own self been bidden to slay and to offer up thine own son, and to see the body consumed, like that blessed patriarch, what then wouldst thou have felt whilst erecting the altar, laying on the wood, binding the child? But there are some who revile thee. What then would be thy feelings, did thy friends come to administer consolation to thee? Speak like Job's. For as it is, innumerable are our sins, and we deserve to be reproached. But in that case, he who was true, just, godly, who kept himself from every evil deed, heard the contrary of those laid to his charge by his friends. What then, tell me, if thou hadst heard thy wife exclaiming in accents of reproach, I am a vagabond and a servant, wandering from place to place and from house to house, waiting until the sun goes down, that I may rest from the woes that encompass me. Job 2.9, Septuagint. Why dost thou speak so, O foolish woman? For is thine husband to blame for these things? Nay, but the devil. Speak a word against God, she says, and die. And if thereupon the stricken man had cursed and died, how wouldst thou be better? No disease you can name is worse than that of his, though you name ten thousand. It was so grievous that he could no longer be in the house and under cover, such that all men gave him up. For if he had not been irrecoverably gone, 
he would never have taken his seat without the city, a more pitiable object than those afflicted with leprosy. For those are both admitted to houses, and they do herd together. But he passed the night in the open air, was naked upon the dunghill, and could not even bear a garment upon his body. How so? Perhaps there would have only been an addition to his pangs. For I melt the clods of the earth, he says, while I scrape off my sore. Job 7, 5, Septuagint. His flesh bred sores and worms in him, and that continually. Seest thou how each one of us sickens at the hearing of these things? But if they are intolerable to hear, is the sight of them more intolerable? And if the sight of them is intolerable, how much more intolerable to undergo them? And yet that righteous man did undergo them, not for two or three days, but for a long while, and he did not sin, not even with his lips. What disease can you describe to me like this, so exquisitively painful? For was not this worse than blindness? I look on my food, he says, as a fetid mass. Job 6, 7. And not this only, but that which affords cessation to others, night and sleep, brought no alleviation to him, name or worse than any torture. Hear his words, why dost thou scare me with dreams and terrify me through visions? If it be morning, I say, when will it be evening? Job 7, 14, 4. And he murmured not, and there was not only this, but reputation in the eyes of the world was added. For they forthwith concluded him to be guilty of endless crimes, judging from all that he suffered. And accordingly, this is the consideration which his friends urged upon him. Know therefore that God exacteth less of thee than thine iniquities deserve. Job 11.6 Wherefore he himself said, But now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. Job 31 and was not this worse than many deaths? Yet, though assaulted on all sides by a flood like this, when there raged about him a fearful storm, clouds, rain, lightnings, whirling winds, and waterspouts, he remained himself unmoved, seated as it were in the midst of this surge, thus awful and overwhelming, as in a perfect calm, and no murmur escaped him, and this before the gift of grace, before that aught was declared concerning a resurrection, before aught concerning hell and punishment and vengeance. Yet we who hear both prophets and apostles and evangelists speaking to us and have innumerable examples set before us and have been taught the tidings of a resurrection, yet harbor discontent, though no man can say that such a fate as this has been his own. For if one has lost money, yet not all that great number of sons and daughters. Or if he has, perchance it was that he had sinned, but for him he lost them suddenly, in the midst of his sacrifices, in the midst of the service which he was rendering to God. And if any man has at one blow lost property to the same amount, which can never be, yet he has not had the further affliction of a sore all over his body, he has not scraped the humors that cover him. Or if this likewise has been his fate, yet he has not had men to upbraid and reproach him, which is above all things calculated to wound the feelings, more than the calamities we suffer. For if when we have persons to cheer and console us in our misfortunes, and to hold out to us fair prospects, we yet despond, consider what it was to have men upbraiding him. If the words, I looked for some to have pity, but there was no man, and for comforters I found none. Psalm 69.20 
describe intolerable misery, how great an agreement to find revilers instead of comforters. Miserable comforters are ye all. Job 16.2 He says, If we but resolve these subjects continually in our minds, if we well weighed them, no ills of this present time could ever have force to disturb our peace. When we turned our eyes to that athlete, that soul of adamant, that spirit impenetrable as brass, for as though he had borne about him a body of brass or stone, he met all events with a noble and constant spirit. Taking these things to heart, let us do everything without murmuring and disputing. Is it some good work that thou hast before thee, and dost thou murmur, wherefore? Art thou then forced? For that there are many about you who force you to murmur, I know well, he says. This he imitated by saying, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, but it is this that deserves admiration, that we admit no such feeling when under galling provocation. For the stars, too, give light in the night. They shine in the dark and receive no blemish to their own beauty. Yet they even shine the brighter. But when light returns, they no longer shine so. Thus thou, too, dost appear with the greater luster, whilst thou holdest straight in the midst of the crooked. This it is which deserves her admiration, the being blameless, for that they might not urge this plea, he himself set down by anticipation. What means holding fast the word of life, i.e., being destined to live, being of those that are gaining salvation? Observe how immediately he subjoins the reward, which are in reserve. Lights, i.e., luminaries, he says, retain the principle of light. So do ye the principle of light. What means the word of life? Having the seed of life, i.e., having pledges of life, holding life itself, i.e., having in yourselves the seed of life. This is what he calls the word of life. Consequently, the rest are all dead. For by these words he signified as much. For otherwise, those others likewise would have held the word of life. That I may have whereof to glory, he says. What is this? I too participate in your good deeds, he says. So great is your virtue, as not only to save yourselves, but to render me illustrious. Strange kind of boasting, thou art blessed, Paul, thou art scourged, driven about, reviled for our sakes. Therefore he adds, in the day of Christ, that I did not run, he says, in vain nor labored in vain, but I always have a right to glory. He means that I did not run in vain. Yea, and if I am offered, he said not, and if I die even, nor did he, when writing to Timothy, for there, too, he made use of the same expression. For I am already being offered, Second Timothy 4, 6. He is both consoling them about his own death and instructing them to bear gladly the death that is for Christ's sake. I became, he says, as it were, a libation and a sacrifice. O blessed soul, his bringing them to God he calls a sacrifice. It is much better to present a soul than to present oxen. If then, over and above this offering, he says, I add myself, my death is a libation, I rejoice. For this he implies when he says, Yea, and if I am offered upon the sacrifice and service, I joy and rejoice with you all. And in the same manner do ye also joy and rejoice with me. Why dost thou rejoice with them? Seest thou that he shows that it is their duty to rejoice? On the one hand, then, I rejoice in being made a libation. On the other, I rejoice with you in having presented a sacrifice. And in the same manner do ye also joy and rejoice with me, that I am offered up, 
rejoice with me, who rejoice in myself, so that the death of the just is no subject for tears but for joy. If they rejoice, we should rejoice with them, for it is misplaced for us to weep while they rejoice. But it is urged we long for our wanted intercourse. This is a mere pretext and excuse. And that it is so, mark what he enjoins. Rejoice with me and joy. Dost thou miss thy wanted intercourse? If thou wert thyself destined to remain here, there would be reason in what thou sayest. But if after a brief space thou wilt overtake him who has departed, what is that intercourse which thou dost seek? For if it is only when he is forever severed from him that a man misses the society of another, but if he will go the same way that thou wilt go, what is the intercourse which thou longest for? Why do we not bewail all that are upon foreign travel? Do we not just a little, and cease after the first or the second day? If thou longest for thy wanted intercourse with him, weep so far only. It is no evil that I suffer, says he, but I even rejoice in going to Christ. And do ye not rejoice, rejoice with me. Let us too rejoice when we see a righteous man dying, and yet more even when any of the desperately wicked, for the first is going to receive the reward of his labors, but the other has abated somewhat from the score of his sins. But it is said, perhaps he might have altered had he lived. Yet God would never have taken him away, if there had been really a prospect of an alteration. For why should not he who orders all events for our salvation allow him the opportunity who gave promise of pleasing him? If he leaves those who never alter, much more those that do. Let then the sharpness of our sorrow be everywhere cut away. Let the voice of lamentation cease. Let us thank God under all events. Let us do all things without murmuring. Let us be cheerful, and let us become pleasing to him in all things, that we may also attain the good things to come, by the grace and loving kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom, etc. End of homily 8.